it is uh, just after nine on Friday. It is time for our Friday morning devotion as we gather here weekly and uh, look at 1 Corinthians, uh, the book that I am going through on my uh, weekly podcast each week um, and that I am sharing with you here at Hillside uh, each week on Friday morning. Um, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning, um, and of course, before we, we get into that, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, at least mention and acknowledge uh, what today is. Today, of course, is September 11th, 2020. Uh, it is hard to believe. I mean, when I, when I thought about that this morning, it, it's just hard for me to fathom that it's been 19 years since that awful event took place in, in our lives. Uh, it's hard to believe that a whole generation of kids has now grown up and become officially adults without having been there and experienced uh, what most of us uh, went through that day. Of course, some of you had much more, uh, went through much uh, closer, um, uh, well, how would I put it? You were much closer to the events of that day than others. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, no matter where you were, no matter what you were doing, there's uh, nothing that's been quite as impactful as the day that uh, our country was attacked and, uh, and seeing it unfolding live uh, on television before us right about the time that we're gathering here for this devotion. And so it is something that is etched in our memories. Uh, it is something that, uh, you know, if there's a question that will go around today in most of our lives, at some point it will probably be the question, where were you when it happened? And I can tell you exactly where I was. I can remember exactly. I actually didn't see the uh, the first plane because I was in my car driving uh, to work. And um, I remember uh, hearing the reports. And then suddenly, when I got to work, um, seeing the second plane uh, go in. And so it, it's just forever imprinted in our memories. And uh, and so every every year at this time on this day, we're forced to look back, and of course, we're even forced to acknowledge what's taken place since then as a result, that we have been in uh, war or, you know, we have been fighting um, as a result of that, connected to that, and still are engaged in something, uh, in some sort of fighting because of that, uh, even still today. And so the impact lives on in our lives. Um, and, uh, and in today's uh, passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, even as we talk about the war that's come from these great divisions throughout the world with, uh, that were exemplified in 9-11, we see that even within the church, it is not impossible for division and war uh, to break out even in smaller forms. Uh, we've seen that actually quite a bit throughout this letter, as first uh, Paul addresses their division over which teacher is better, you know, which teacher they're really, what team they're on, you know, team Apollos, team Paul, team Peter, even team Jesus, you know. Uh, and Paul has addressed that. Last week he addressed uh, something that really is kind of stunning, you know, that a man uh, is in a relationship, an adulterous relationship with either his stepmother or his legitimate mother. We're not exactly sure, but either way, it's just scandalous. And Paul has to address it because the church is actually quite proud of the fact that they're so libertine, that they're you know so free in the gospel that they don't make a big deal of it. And so Paul has to correct that. And today, Paul has to correct the problem of, well, believe it or not, lawsuits, civil lawsuits, that are happening between church members in the Corinthian church. So 
He begins chapter 6, verse 1, saying, When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world, and if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more, then, matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Now let's pause here for a second. This is a little crazy. Uh, it's hard to imagine, but it's not unfathomable because there have been situations even like this today. But imagine sitting in church across the aisle from someone that you are going to take to court on Monday morning. Someone that you are in a very litigious lawsuit against. It's hard to imagine that there's going to be much unity in the church when such a thing is going on. And Paul is very concerned with the unity of the Corinthian church. And if people are suing each other and taking each other to court in the church, well, I mean, Paul recognizes this is a failure from the start. There's, I mean, you've already lost the game. You've already lost the battle if it's come to that. And so Paul's first question is like, why would you, okay, disputes happened. He acknowledges that, sure. But wasn't there anybody in the church? Wasn't there any, anybody that you could go to within the church that could judge this matter? I mean, you're going to go to a court of law rather than try and settle it privately? It's an embarrassment. It's a mockery of the faith. And it, and it goes public, and the public is able to hold that up as an example and see, oh, yeah, you know, Jesus said, uh, supposedly, we'll know you're Christians by your love for one another, and they can't even get along enough not to sue each other. What a joke. Paul's really concerned about that, and rightfully so. It's a mockery. It looks terrible. And so he says, you know, I say this to your shame. I, why, how is there not someone wise enough to settle the dispute? But then Paul goes even further and gives a verse that I commonly refer to as the killer of the flesh. There's a few of these verses that basically destroy our natural way of thinking, the fleshly way of thinking, the non-spiritual way of thinking. And that is these words. Um, why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Now, just take that in for a second. Paul's counsel is, it is better to suffer wrong from a brother in the church or even be defrauded, yes, stolen from, than to go to the matter of a lawsuit, than to do this publicly and shame the rest of the church. Oof. This is strong medicine because 
None of us wants to be defrauded. None of us wants to suffer wrong. None of us wants to turn the other cheek. None of us wants to love our enemy. None of us wants to walk the extra mile for someone who doesn't deserve it. None of us wants to give up our cloak. Yes, all of these things, all of these things are flesh killers. This is the law on full blast. This is what the law does to us. It takes away our reasons. It takes away our rights. The idea of rights is not something that the scripture is concerned about when it comes to the church. I know this is very offensive to modern Western ears, but it's Paul is constantly saying, consider others more significant than yourselves. Put others before your own interests. And what does he use as the model for this? In, in Philippians chapter 2, he says, that's exactly what Christ does. Christ does not take hold of all that is rightfully his, but willfully lays it down. Oof. I'm not saying it's easy, folks. I'm not saying that this is even necessarily achievable very often. But in order to maintain the unity of the church, in order to maintain the love that we have for one another, I am saying what's necessary, and the scriptures say what's necessary, is that we're going to have to do a whole lot of humbling and a whole lot of forgiving. There's no way around it. If you're a part of a community anywhere, let alone the church, it's just going to happen. There's going to be disputes. There's going to be wrongs done. There's going to be things that are unfair. That's just part of human life, human community. And the only way we can try to move forward is if we have a posture that looks to forgive and looks to consider others' interests before our own. Strong medicine, again, yes, the flesh killer but oh so necessary in any relationship. If you're married, you know this. If you've been married for any length of time, you know this. You're going to have to forgive. The, the, the worst line in any movie in the, in the history of the world is the line, love means never having to say you're sorry, uh, from the movie Love Story. That is garbage. Love means having to say you're sorry all the time because you're a sinner. You're imperfect and you need to be, you need to humble yourself if you've messed up or you said something wrong or you've done something that was not right for, to your partner. It does mean saying you're sorry and it means in turn the person who's been offended being willing to forgive. As it happens in marriage, so it must happen in the church. It's part of what it means to have relationship. Here's Paul's reasons for why he doesn't want them to go to the courts. He says, verse 9, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? I mean, you're going out to the unrighteous courts when you are the church, you've been declared righteous by God? Like, what are you doing? Why do you think they're going to adjudicate this better than, than the church can? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that's a pretty exhaustive list. I mean, let's just take it piece by piece. The sexually immoral. Anybody who's uh, anybody who is adulterous or giving in to lust. Idolaters, anybody who puts anything before the true God in, uh, for meaning and hope and significance in their life. Uh, adulterers, those who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor swindlers, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers. I mean, he's kind of covering the bases here. He's saying, hey, basically, I'm saying anybody who's committed sins at all is not getting into the kingdom of God. Ah. 
such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now here's something that's very interesting. Uh, Paul gives this list of vices and sins here, and he says those who practice such things will not go to heaven. And then he says to the church, and you were once that, but you've been washed, you were sanctified, past tense, it's already been done for you, you were set apart, and you were justified, declared righteous, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Great, great, great stuff. But it's abundantly clear throughout this letter that this church has a bunch of people that are still struggling with these sins, that are still struggling with lust. Obviously, he's just rebuked that. He's going to continue to rebuke it in the next passage. Obviously, people had been uh, swindling one another because, well, lawsuits were happening within the church and somebody was doing something, some kind of defrauding, right? Obviously, there were people that were, uh, everybody in the church to some extent is guilty of idolatry, right? I mean, none of us loves God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength with all of our heart every single day of our life. It just doesn't happen. And so, I mean, that's true for us Christians. And so here's the dichotomy. Here's the dichotomy that I think you need to get. When he says you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified, it means you were declared righteous in spite of those things. You were forgiven of those things. This doesn't mean that those who are Christians won't still struggle with those things. You are, a, you are still simultaneously saint and sinner in this body. You will still struggle with these things. That's true until you meet the Lord until you go home to be with him in this body, as Paul talks about in Romans 7, there's going to be this tension, this ongoing struggle between the old man and the new man, the, the flesh and the spirit. But what will, what will ultimately save you is not how well you perform fighting these tasks or these, these, these sins and these struggles. No, no, we're not confessing works righteousness here. What will ultimately save you is what God has declared you to be. In your baptism, you were washed. At that point, you were plummeted down into the waters of baptism. You were dead and then risen to new life. And therefore, you were set apart, sanctified, made holy, and you were justified. Because that action happened in the past to you, even if you continue to struggle, even if you continue to go back to these things that the Corinthian church clearly is doing or clearly is struggling with. We don't sit there and affirm that. We don't say it's okay. No, we really do struggle against it. We wage war against the members of our flesh, Paul says. But ultimately, your salvation is locked up. Your salvation has already been done. It's already been taken care of for you. And this is what Paul wants them to be anchored in. And so every time you're going to see this pattern throughout the letter, and we'll wrap it up here in just a second, every time Paul rebukes them for something they're doing as a church, you'll notice this pattern. Every single time it's like, okay, I've laid into them a little bit. I got to affirm them again and make sure they're anchored in who they really are in Christ. <laughs> so he never calls these, these, these very idolatrous uh, Christians he never says that they're not Christians. He addresses them as sanctified, as washed, as justified. He's constantly reminding them, this is who you are. 
And so I want you to walk in the freedom that that brings and not give in to these lawsuits and not give in to the sexual immorality and not give in to the divisive things of the world. I want you to live in the unity and the freedom that comes with being a member of the body of Christ united under the one head that is Jesus Christ. So, yes, you were washed, Christian. No need to divide over lesser things. That's your ultimate unity, and that's what will keep us strong for the days to come.